Hey Bliss Seekers, and welcome to your online home away from home. A place where we marry ancient wisdom and modern science, so we dispel the woo-woo of spirituality to help you find authentic health, balance, and bliss. I'm your host, Ari, a specialist registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, embodiment coach, and modern mystic. I've trained with the world's leading experts in psychology, mindfulness, and behavior change. And I am a recovered perfectionist, overachiever, and self-development junkie on a mission to help you stop being your own worst critic, to finally step into your authenticity, and return to wholeness through mind, body, and spirit integration. This is a place where imperfection is celebrated. So grab a cup of cacao, coffee, matcha, or whatever you fancy, and inhale deeply through your nose and out your mouth, and get ready to live in alignment. You're listening to Align with Ari. This episode is brought to you by my embodiment toolkit, your one-stop shop to return home to your body and rebuild trust and connection with your inner wisdom, which is already inherent to you. Embodiment is an ongoing practice. It is something we need to continue to nurture every single day to help us become our most confident, happy, and authentic selves. So at the foundation of healing, if we think about it, we've been given this beautiful, dense matter of a body to work through and feel emotion and to connect with something greater for our soul's journey. So in this toolkit, you can find various resources to meet you where you're at, whether that be breath workshops, yin yoga, yoga nidra, some gentle movement in the day to reconnect with your body, or perhaps maybe more ecstatic movement, such as shaking, swaying, dancing. It also includes a daily landing meditation and a workshop on your nervous system, getting close and personal with the sensations and a brief introduction to embodiment work. So what we know is when we reconnect with our bodies, we awaken our emotional intelligence and recalibrate our inner compass that knows exactly what we need, how much and when. This is the foundation to living a healthy, aligned, and blissful life. So if you're into it, head over to my website, www.arianarodriguez.com forward slash embodiment dash toolkit and get your access to the embodiment toolkit so you can return home to your body every single day. Hello, Bliss Seekers, and welcome to another episode of Align with Ari, where we marry ancient wisdom and modern science. This week, I had the immense pleasure of speaking to and connecting with Unangan elder Ilarian Merculiev. So, of course, we often get scientists here and practitioners speaking on the podcast. And what I love most is being able to also connect with the fellow wisdom keepers of the earth. So, Merculiev is a, the final Unangan elder in Alaska remaining 
that has had traditional indigenous upbringing. And he is here to share with us Mother Earth's message to all. So he is the co-founder and former chairman of the Alaska Indigenous Council on Marine Mammals, former chairman of the Nature Conservancy Alaskan Chapter, former co-director of the Native American Fish and Wildlife Society, Alaska Chapter, as well as co-founder of the International Bering Sea Forum, the Alaska Forum of the Environment, and the Alaska Oceans Network. He has also chaired the Indigenous Knowledge Sessions in the UN-sponsored Global Summit of Indigenous Peoples on Climate Change. He has received numerous awards, including the Alaska Native Writers on the Environment Award from Alaska Conservation Foundation, the Rusmussen Foundation Award for Creative Nonfiction in 2006, the Buffett Finalist Award for Indigenous Leadership, the Alaska Forum and the Environment Environmental Excellence Award for Lifetime Achievement in 2007, and the Wisdom Fellowship Award from the Sacred Fire Foundation in 2017. Now, dear and close to Merculiev's heart are issues related to cultural and community wellness, traditional ways of living, elder wisdom, and the environment. Having had a traditional upbringing, Ilarion has been and continues to be a strong voice advocating the meaningful application of traditional knowledge and wisdom obtained from elders in Alaska and throughout the world when dealing with modern day challenges. So he has shared elder wisdom locally, nationally, and internationally, and his writings and interviews have appeared in many publications, including National Geographic. He is a senior advisor for the Wild Foundation, which oversees the World Wilderness Congress, and his current project is called Wisdom Weavers of the World. This project is produced by elders throughout the world in video, so it is a documentary that features messages of the elders on a global scale from all continents so that for social media on what we need to know. So what is it that, what's the wisdom that we need to begin and continue to thrive and flourish as a society, as a community, as a collective? Now this, you know, this documentary I actually had to watch and I had the privilege of listening to Ilarion speak at the very first week of my university classes at Columbia University where he was invited to speak for our what was called the intensive. It was a week-long conference, so to speak, where we got to listen to experts globally in the science as well as wisdom keepers. And I couldn't help but be struck by the message that Ilarian was we know was sharing and the fact that it was being shared in a university classroom was even more mind-blowing. Now his documentary I actually had to watch for an assignment and quite literally it brought me to tears when I watched it. It mm, it was so moving. I was waiting to board my flight to go back to London at the time and uh, <laughs> I swear people sitting next to me must have been thinking, did she just go through a massive breakup? What is going on here? I was tearing. My face was puffy and it just really speaks to the heart. 
And that is what today's episode is all about, is moving from mind consciousness to heart consciousness so that we can make sure we thrive and continue to exist as a species. Now, this episode highlights a few things. So the first is we're going to be really exploring the lessons from Malarian's childhood in a traditional indigenous Yungangan upbringing. We talk about children as being wisdom keepers and how we can learn from children. We talk about heart intelligence versus mind intelligence, how to tune into your heart wisdom, finding your gift and life purpose, We explore the womb of the earth and the importance of women in leadership. We begin to explore and differentiate the difference between feminine energetics and masculine energetics in a patriarchal society. And a message from 13 elders around the world. Before we dive into today's episode, which is incredibly inspiring and truly heartwarming, I wanted to emphasize a couple of things, two things before diving in. The first is what is meant by feminine and masculine energetics. And the second will be looking at the science of heart consciousness. So firstly, we live in a society which generally speaking honors and really amplifies and elevates masculine energetics. So what I mean by that and what we mean by that is the thinking, the reasoning, strength and action, which is really linear, right? It's very planning oriented strategy. And we do that whilst diminishing and undervaluing the feminine energetics, which is emotional, nurturing, receptive, intuitive, more go with the flow, non-linear, And though you can understand gender on a fluid spectrum of experiences, these expressions have implications for our lived experiences. So we're not talking about gender specifically here because every single being, however you identify, holds both feminine and masculine energetics. And we both and all need to find equilibrium and balance with these energies and energetics. So in a book called The Woman Code, a hormone expert, Elisa Viti, explains the tantric philosophy which this root is rooted from. And it says that tantra, an Eastern philosophy that believes the universe is created by and made up of masculine, also known as Shiva, and feminine, also known as Shakti, energies that infuse all things. Viti says... Both energies exist within each and us in varying amounts. So learning how to engage both fully in what ends up making a personal psychologically, emotionally, and physically well. She says that just as you wouldn't operate a remote control with only one battery, you need both of these energies as the power sources. And they're necessary tools for shaping your life. And what Ilarian speaks to today which really struck me was this notion how he you know he speaks in beautiful metaphors and learning from nature and he says that you know birds have two wings we can't fly with just one so we have both of these energetics within us now becoming aware of these imbalances that might present themselves and understanding the different values you place in each is ideal and is important and actually vital 
to harmonious living and finding your fulfillment satisfaction. Signs that you would perhaps have quote-unquote too much feminine energy might be where you have a lack of direction. You almost feel like really wishy-washy, super spontaneous in a way that you know, you're unable to meet any goals or, you know, get from A to B and you might feel a little lost. You might feel really fatigued or lack of motivation. Whereas perhaps having too little feminine energy and or having too much quote unquote masculine energy might look like, you know, being an overachiever, having so much structure that it's almost like there's no room for any any wiggle room, right? It's like your entire days are jam-packed with meetings, with timelines, with running from A to Z. There's no room for kind of just being like, oh, let's just try this for a sec or, you know, let's just see what happens. You know, there's almost, it's like a mind over matter situation. What can also show up is perhaps being unable to connect to our inner world perhaps focusing very much on external appearance, external validation. That might be also a way that we can kind of see it show up. So there are many different symptoms that might come up. And if we think about re, you know, the society we live in, it is a hyper-masculine society in terms of energetics, right? If we think of valuing the nine-to-five job versus perhaps more freelance-type working, right? We're seeing a shift naturally. However, the structure of our world is still primarily, or at least I can speak to the Western world, is still primarily based on structure, right? And a very rigid structure. So having a strategy, having KPIs, right? It's like, what are your sales measures? Are you hitting targets? All of this type of structure versus also trusting and making intuitive related business decisions as well. So ways in which we can realign our feminine energy as most of us, I can't say all, but most of us (laughs) have perhaps live with and we're tapping into a hyper masculine energy so to realign right to come back to realignment bringing it back to our authenticity things we might want to do is practicing mindfulness bringing in more more check-in points moments of you know throughout the day checking in with yourself how am i doing how am i feeling so building emotional resilience is really important here building self-compassion is really important perhaps it means going out in nature and going for a walk to connect with just being in the moment perhaps it means scheduling more white space in your diary which means having time slots in your weeks that are literally just available (laughs) nothing's planned just be see what happens go with the flow see with what you need in that very moment as well embodiment is the essence of feminine you know feminine energetics in terms of a practice and that is very much the connection we might have with our body with this physical body so we that may look like dancing playing a song and not having a routine but just moving to a melody seeing what comes up maybe it means stretching flowing connecting with your senses maybe it means creating right we think of creation as very feminine so creating and whipping up a beautiful nourishing meal 
So whatever is creative, maybe art, depending on what that looks like for you, maybe it means pottery, maybe it means getting out the acrylics and the canvas. If we think back to and refer to yogic philosophy, when we think of the chakras, which are our energy centers, we can look at the second chakra, which is called Swadhisthana chakra, which is all about creativity and sensuality. It is actually located in the pelvic region where the womb space is, which is where we birth ideas and quite literally give. This is where intuition lives and where our creativity and sensuality lives. And so this is actually the sacred space of feminine energetics, which is quite interesting when you think about it, as Ilarion will be referring to the womb of the earth. So again, you'll see a lot of overlap here, which is so incredible to bring it all together for us. And if you want to learn more about or tap into that the embodiment practice, please feel free to head over to the embodiment toolkit. You'll see the link below in today's episode. And you can definitely find that on my website at www.arianarodriguez.com forward slash embodiment dash toolkit. You can definitely get started there. There are loads of practices of Now, interestingly, Carl Jung also referred to these energetics and he specified that feminine as what he called anima and the masculine as he defined as animus. So we see this time and time and again throughout history and through various ancient texts and scientific texts and psychological texts that really are defining these two forms of energetics and or what we can call prana. So again, masculine energy is about doing, it's action orientated. And if you think about today's society, and you know, I can speak for myself too, I have so often and most of my life overemphasized the masculine, right? It's this idea of being outcome focused and it's like, I must get there and looking at and putting value on ourselves based on how productive we are, right? And then feeling not good enough if we don't tick all the boxes on our to-do list. Whereas on the contrary to that, we have feminine energy, which is something I know personally in the last two years have been, you know, really emphasizing more into my life and bringing it into, you know, into my reality and into my awareness, which is the idea of being and creating listening to our intuition, being within the body, which brings us back to embodiment, right? And embodiment practices really nurture and cultivate that feminine energetics that we all need to nurture to find harmony and balance. And if we think about it in terms of how we can see it in nature, there is, there does exist that duality, that binary, right? So we have the sun, which represents the masculine and the moon, which represents the feminine. And in yoga, we call that hatha, right? Hatha yoga, which really means to bring those two to balance. We have light and dark, day and night, inhaling and exhaling. These all exist around us. And they are all essential and fundamental for the existence of the other. So it's not one better than the other. They are both equal, both needed. Now, what's interesting is when looking at the research, there is what is called the Athena Doctrine, which is a research that revealed that about 64,000 people who were surveyed in 13 different countries or nations found that two-thirds feel the world would be a better place if men were more like women. Now, I know this brings it up the idea of gender, 
the idea here is there is a global trend a moving away from the winner takes it all idea approach, right? The masculine, the kind of linear focus strategy, planning, nine to five, very structured way of doing things. And in interviewing many organizations, you know, Fortune 500 companies across these 18 countries, what they found was that many leaders are recognizing the value in traits commonly associated with women. So that includes nurturing, cooperation, communication, and sharing. So I thought that was really interesting to just bring forward before we dive into today's discussion, as you will hear Ilarion speak from the heart and speak from his wisdom. And I wanted to just demonstrate how this, in fact, is being shown in our you know, in reality, in the Western world too, we're seeing this shift that needs to happen as Ilarion really urges us to do. And the second thing I wanted to really highlight is this notion of this heart consciousness that Ilarion speaks to. And he does so, so eloquently, so beautifully. It's really poetic. And this is, oh my gosh, I could have just listened to him all day. I'm like, just keep talking. (laughs) And what's beautiful is that you know, as always, science eventually catches up to this ancient wisdom, right? This wisdom has been around for years, millennia. And only now, eventually, we get there, right? We got there. But ultimately, there is this institute that is called Heart Math. And Heart Math really its aim is to help us tap into the power and intelligence of the heart what they call your heart's intuition. So that with the goal of reawakening the best version of yourself. So this might sound familiar, right? We talk a lot about this mind, body, soul alignment, coming back to your true north. And what HeartMath really shares with us is that the earliest recorded civilizations, including the Greeks, Mesopotamians, Babylonians, speak of this heart, this part of us that we all have, harboring some form of intelligence. And now, I mean, for the past years, we've only considered it as being metaphorical, but science is now showing otherwise. So the founder of the Institute of Heart Math is called Doc Childer. I hope I pronounced that right. And he's now produced a you know, vast amount of scientific evidence in collaboration with many organizations to back up the intelligent heart theory. So one of the things I wanted to share is what the science has shown about heart communication. So the first is that the heart sends neurological information to the brain and the rest of the body through the pulse. The heart sends energy in the form of blood pressure waves So researchers have seen that changes in the electrical activity of the brain occurs in relation to the changes of blood pressure wave, the waves of blood pressure that they kind of measure. The heart also communicates on a biochemical level. It releases what is called atrial peptide. And this is a hormone that inhibits the release of other stress hormones. And lastly, this is the one that I've known about <laughs> longer, I would say. The other ones are kind of uh, amazing. 
This one is one that you might be familiar with as well, is the notion that the heart communicates electromagnetically, right? Think of an EKG, right? It measures the electromagnetic field and pulses of the heart. And this has been used for quite some time. And this signal can be picked up anywhere on the body and permeates the space around us. So HeartMath has taken this information and translated it into tools that focus on teaching us how to listen, to follow the intuition of the heart. They found that this helps us make better decisions and can help us manage our mind, our thoughts, and be more emotionally literate. So how beautiful is that? We're now bridging. This is the true essence of bridging science and ancient wisdom. So what I wanted to leave you here with before we dive into this incredibly beautiful episode is one of the strategies that HeartMath Institute shares. (laughs) And notice I use the word strategy, which is a very masculine word. So it's bridging the heart wisdom, which is very feminine, with the masculine. And there, this is a perfect example of how we can bridge both together to be more in harmony. So this one is called the freeze frame. It's considered one of the simplest heart math tools. It's only meant to take a minute, so you can do it at any time of the day, whenever you fancy, whenever you feel called. And its goal is to really support a shift in perception. So more than positive thinking, it creates a more heartfelt shift in how we view a situation or a person or even ourselves. So when you're under stress or when you feel discomfort, here is what you can do. The first is begin to drop, get out of your head and drop into your body, focusing on the area around your heart, keeping your attention there for at least 10 seconds. And continuing to just breathe and noticing. And as you focus on your heart, this number two, the step number two is to think of a positive time or feeling you've had in your life. Think back to it. And when you remember, instead of just thinking, try to re-experience the felt experience. Embody that experience once again. What did it feel like? Step number three is ask a question from your heart in that space. What can I do in this situation to make it different? Or perhaps what can I do to minimize stress? And step number four is to listen. Be perceptive. Notice how your heart responds. What wisdom comes up for you? So there you have it. Just a little brief introduction to the science behind our heart consciousness, heart wisdom, as well as the feminine and masculine energetics. I hope you enjoy this episode with Ilarian Merkuliev. Without further ado, see you on the other side. Welcome, Ilarian, to the podcast. It is so great to have you here spending this time with me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for inviting me. It is such a pleasure to be able to speak with you. A big privilege, I have to say. I was first graced by your wisdom and your presence at a conference, you know, by at Columbia University, and it had such a tremendous impact on me, and I took a lot of notes, a lot of 
little golden nuggets that I really took away with me that I'm really hoping you'll be able to share. I know you will share <laughs> with us as you know, you, it's really felt that you speak from the heart. So I'm really excited to have you here. And I've also read your book, The Wisdom Keeper, and knowing that you are part of the final generation that really had a traditional Yunungan upbringing is incredible. And I'd love if you could tell us a bit more about who you are and where you come from, what it was like to grow up. Okay. We usually start the morning by saying, all one. Kevin Lesson that Kevin Kasu Kuya. I said, Hello, my other self. I'm one, which is where our people greet each other every day. And morning taste wood. Kevin Lesson that Kevin Kasu It's another way we greet each other every day. Nungan, which we don't use the word alley because that was given to us by our full oppressor. We have been living out in the Bering Sea for over 10,000 years and we're still there. And as I said, my traditional name is Kuyaf. And with that, I was given that name at four years old by the last Kuyaf that was left to ride amongst our people. And it means like an arm extending out from the body, a carrier of ancient knowledge into modern times, a messenger. And so I was given that name at four years old. And now I'm living the legacy of my name. Incredible. So anyway. Incredible. And may I ask, yeah, I'm actually just curious in terms of, you know, pardon my pronunciation, kiyoks, right? Are Kuyos. you kuyok? I hope it was all right. That's good. <laughs> Amazing. Is there anyone who will come after you, Ilarian? I'm just curious. I know you are the final generation that really had that traditional upbringing. What happens after well, that? I'm just curious. I will talk about that as we go along in our talk. I'm not ready to do that now, <laughs> but I can tell you a little bit about our history out in the Bering yeah. Sea. We have stories about our people coming from Egypt, out of Mongolia, to Siberia, to Kamchatka, and across by traditional crack, not by the Bering Land Bridge, as most anthropologists say, and developed the most densely populated meter mile shoreline in all of North America for our time. The place is very hard to reach out living, but our people did that because they were very spiritual and spirituality encompassed everything that we did every day. And, you know, we were people that didn't wear footwear even in the wintertime, Alaska, like the lobos that are followers of the Dalai Lama. You sit in the snow and you melt it. Well, that was our people. Had a basic <laughs> form of brain surgery and we do have words for every part of the human body, inside and out. We have a word for billion. That is something that we always ask the people that I talk with. Why would basically a culture like ours have words for billion? Because you can't count a billion anything. You can count maybe 2,000 stars. And so I said, well, you think about that. 
We were the only people that didn't have it amongst all the Alaska Native people. We, but it, except for air drying, we have a lot of wind where we come from. And every one of our people were what we call a real human, which is someone who is present in the moment in the heart. And because it was understood by our people that the heart is the only place that is a connection with the divine. And that's where we get our original instructions, our laws for living. It was given to us. We didn't make them up over thousands of years. In the past, most people misunderstand or don't know that most indigenous people around the world received their laws for living and original instruction. And our people understood that we are given everything that we need, that we don't have to ask for it. If we are conducting ourselves in a proper way. And that way is that the intelligence of a human body is greater than the intelligence of the brain. That the mind and heart have to work together. But traditionally, the heart, you should tell the mind what to do. Now the mind tells the heart what to do. And there's causing all the ills in the world that we see today. And so when the heart tells you, I can tell you that the heart never guides you wrong. It always guides you exactly right. It has compassion. It has love. It has patience. It has all these kinds of things that we are striving for. This is the basis of which our people live and what we do or we never plan. We don't plan for the future. We don't plan for where we're going to get our food the next day. That it's all provided for if we're conducting ourselves properly. And one of the ways that is proper of a real human being is that you take this trust we call, I mean, Christians call it faith. And this is faith, the true definition of faith, where you embody at the cellular level, trust for yourself, trust in others, trust in Mother Earth, trust in the universe, and ultimately trust in the whole. All of these things embody at a cellular level. And that when you do that, you follow with an intent that I need to go get food, then the rush is taken care of. That's why, you know, we had such a vital civilization because we did that. Something you speak of, Larian, is very much that I really appreciate the emphasis on the heart wisdom, which you know, even reading in your book and, and something that in my own experience is really connecting to the body, to the felt sense. As you mentioned, it's embodied and there's so much wisdom in connecting with the bottom up, right? So it's like right now we often and society focuses on top down approach. We're almost cut off from the neck down where 
it feels perhaps, and I know with the people I work with, it feels safer to stay here and to try to rationalize everything and have a strategy, right? And have a linear concept of time because we, as humans, we don't like uncertainty. I know I can speak for myself historically when I suffered from anxiety and from perfectionism. That was something that really came up for me. And in doing a lot of the dropping into the body, feeling sensations, and then tuning into heart wisdom and what some might call intuition, right? Is that that soul connection you have with the greater world around you and with your authenticity, that's really when you find that peace. And that sounds like that's what you're speaking of. It's this flipping it on its head and starting with this physical, this vessel that allows us to interact with the world around us and utilizing that as the compass versus trying to rationalize because the mind comes up with so many narratives and stories, but the body, as you said, and the heart never lies. There's so much truth there. So I wonder if you can speak to how did we get here? How did we get here and how do we move away from this mind consciousness and move towards heart consciousness? Well, I will talk about that, but first I just want a complete texture of the context of my upbringing. My generation was the last generation that had a traditional upbringing. I was in that last generation. And where, for example, the whole village raised uh, all, literally. So I could walk out in the street. I was like five, six years old, walk out in the street. I'll be greeted by every adult who would affirm me. They would say something positive, like all the Kaya, from the court, good boy. And that's where I was read by every adult every day from age five to age 13. Well, you can't imagine what that's like being affirmed by every adult. And I could go to anybody's house day or night and be treated like the long lost son. All the time, Kamuda, Richard, Kakai, come in, sit down, eat. And that's where everybody treated me every day. I could go to anybody's house whenever it was, and I'd be treated that way. And I had to spend equal time with the elder where they would take me out camping with them every weekend, where they would tell story after story after story from age five to age 13. I had to spend equal time with the men who had to talk the men's way on hunting, fishing, technology. And I had to spend equal time with the women who would teach me the women's ways and food preparation and what they observe about the food. I had to spend equal time with my peers. My job with my peers was simply to play. And so this was such an incredible thing. Plus, I was growing up on an island, very small. I don't know what it is in kilometers, but it's five miles wide and 12 miles long. Very small island in the middle of the Bering Sea. 
And, but yet, when I was a child, 1.2 million northern fur seals, two and a half million seabirds, a thousand reindeer, and 500 or million people. It was such a magical place to grow up. You know, full of life of all kinds. You know, I was never scolded. Very few people I asked people on, with the audience, I asked them, how many of you have never been scolded? There might be one or two people when you grew up. But I was never scolded. One time I stole $20 from my grandpa. I was nine years old. $20 for our people at that time was a lot of money. It would take a, a year to make 20 bucks. But I stole it because I wanted to buy this plastic airplane in the store. So I went down there, took, gave them $20, and they gave me the plane. And unbeknownst to me, my aunt was standing right behind. But she didn't say anything. She waited until I walked out the door, and she said in a very unaccusatory, very non-judgmental way, she said in Nalintuno, which is the Alley's language, or Nalintuno, and she asked me, well, Larry, where did you get that $20 from? Of course, I was six years old, or nine years old, rather. And so I said, well, I knew I was caught, and I told her the truth. And she'd go, hmm, what do you think you should do about that? Mm. And, you know, so she left it up to me to decide. And I said, well, I knew I was caught, so I said, I'd take the plane back, get $20, tell my papa I stole it from him. And she'd go, muffled, okay. So I walked back there, turned the plane in, and she takes $20 out of mm. her own pocket and buys a plane for me. And then uh, I tell my papa that I stole Frank. I gave him the $20 back, and he says, and I home the cost the world born. Genius of that is that, yeah, we acknowledge that there's incorrect behavior, but we reinforce the correct behavior. Mm. So all the people on the island were that way, yeah. reinforce the correct behavior, and that's what they focus on. The reason that they do that is because, you know, my mom told me, oh, when a child is born, we cry. And when they die, we celebrate. And the reason that we celebrate or cry when baby born is because we, before we became human, were in spirit form that is formless. And then we go, go into, and very light, and then we go into the human body, which is very dense and very heavy by comparison. And so they knew that they would experience what human beings will experience, which is very dense light. And we celebrate when they die because when we die, we go back into our formless form. And that's freedom, real freedom. And so my mother would, would taught me that. And so the elders are, uh, and the adults in the village are very careful about how they talk to a child, what they're thinking, and how they treat the child. 
because they know that a child is easily traumatized. And so even scolding a child will traumatize the new spirit in human form. And so I don't do that. And that we also don't condescend. We don't look down at children. They are equal to us. The only difference is they lack life experience in this human body. And so don't job in my childhood was to create the space for a child to learn. Tell them what to learn, how to learn, or to define anything. So I grew up not asking a single question. And the adult job is to create the space for a child to learn. That's all. And the child job is to watch, listen, and learn. And so I did that. And what genius of that, I feel, is that you are allowed to expand out to the maximum of your capability without the interference of another adult. And today, you know, we do the opposite. We, you know, when you have to listen to your parent, you have to hear what your parents say about what you must do, or you'll suffer disciplinary action. And then when you go to school, it's the same thing. You have to listen to the expert, the outside authority, not your own authority. And then that is reinforced and our people are indoctrinated all over the world from kindergarten to post-doctor degree. Everything in advance of where you are yeah. is more advanced. And so you should listen to them. And this, I think, is why most people, they're overwhelmed because they say, well, climate crisis, that's too big for me. That's the, the only thing that can deal with it is government or the scientists. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, the refugees, that's a big issue. And I don't have the ability to deal with that. The violation of women, all these kinds of things that people don't feel like they are equipped to deal with it. But when you grow up in a traditional way, you don't see them as overwhelming problems. We see them as challenges. And every challenge can be met by the human being. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way I grew up. And, you know, I would be given a freedom as a child, starting of six years old, to go anywhere I wanted on the island, day or night, day or night, by myself. Today might be called child abuse, but it really was very special. And you know, to get to know my grandfather and for my grandfather to get to know me, starting at age four, I had to be with him 24-7 for two years. So I literally went <laughs> to work with him every day. And I'll go visit his friends in the evening where I could have tea with them, you know, and that kind of thing. And I would pray with him where in the morning at sunrise, we take our shirts off, spray ourselves with the Bering Sea water and pray towards the east. 
And then that night, we might go to the Russian Orthodox Church, uh, which was introduced by our oppressor. And he saw no difference in where we find our spirituality. And, you know, that is so true. And then after we pray in the morning in the water, next to the water, we would go off for a walk on the land. And St. Paul Island, which is the island I was born on, is known as the birthplace of the wind, where it's windy all the time. And we have 20 days of sunshine a year, believe it or not. 20 days of sunshine a year. It's always overcast or foggy. This day, one day, it was beautiful out. It was black Tom Ocean, no wind. There were no, not a cloud in the sky. The birds were sitting. The seals were barking. Wow. And I said, I said, it's sure beautiful out. And my grandfather goes, he puts his finger to his wrist. And he says, Tutuda. That's all he said. One word is Tutuda, which means listen. And his listening was your whole body, not just for your ears. And what he taught me in that moment, well, I strongly feel it encapsulates why and how our people survived and thrived in Bering Sea for over 10,000 years. And that is that words are considered superfluous or maybe dangerous. That when you express your feeling, that feeling that you have, like the one I did, I said it was beautiful that day, he's saying, keep it to yourself. You should feel it, not talk about it. Because talking will diminish what it is to you. Just feel it. The most important human feelings that you have that strike you in a a situation like that should always be felt, not talked about. And, And most people don't do that in the world. And so... It has all kinds of effects. Anyways, so I would walk there. I would walk at three o'clock in the morning at six years old to the bird twist. Now, the birds were amazing to me. And I would walk out at three o'clock in the morning to be there at sunrise at six o'clock. The sun would rise and the birds would wake up from the bird twist. They're all on cliff ledge. And there would be thick belt murres, common murres, tufted puffins, horned puffins, um, red-faced cormorants, you know, pelagic cormorants, all of these species that are on this bird set. And mind you, we have two and a half million seabirds. And we only have limited number of cliffs. So underneath that one cliff, three miles out of the village, there must be at least 10,000 seabirds. Uh, and the cacophony, you can't imagine the cacophony of sound. They all speak a different language. They're all greeting the morning and greeting each other. And they're just alive. And I just loved that. They would fly within inches of me. 
being oblivious to that I was there. Wow. Yeah. But I noticed terrible chaos of flying in front of the crib that the birds never even kicked away. You know, 10,000 plus seabirds underneath this very small quick, and none of them tipped a wing. And what they would do is they would fly off to the ledge when they wake up and fly in a circle in front of the bird for us. And they're waiting to collect members of their species before they go out foraging. And so I was six years old and wondering, you know, what's the difference between us seabirds and people? You know, because we should be this way, I thought. And so I thought, well, birds don't think. And I didn't have the word for it at the time, but they're a field of awareness. And this field of awareness keeps them from hitting each other, no matter how chaotic, because the birds are flying Diagonally up right, diagonally up left, right, left, different speeds, you know, different heights, all in this one bird fall. They never took a wing because they are this field of awareness. So I thought, well, I'm six years old. I want to be a seabird. And so I practiced, I actually practiced probably for a couple months and not to think, not to have a single word coming through my head. Until finally I did it, about two months later, I would not have a single word coming through my brain. And it was total peace and quiet. Then I had a traditional mentor called an archer. And the archer relationship was very special. Uh, when I saw my archer for the first time, it's not a matter of designating that person because they're a certain family member or whatever. The way it happened, there's the child recognized that that's my Acha when they encounter him for the first time. And the Acha person knows that that child instantly is his Acha. So we call each other Acha. And so it's, it's something that is giver are containing us by the inner intelligence that we that everybody has really anyway he took me out fishing and hunting with him he taught me about the reverence for all life about caring about sharing cooperation all these kinds of things from age five to age 13 and yet in that entire time he may have said 200 words to me because, again, words are superfluous and maybe dangerous. And, you know, to learn that without words is quite an amazing thing. You never forget it. And so he would take me out hunting with him. We hunt for stellar sea lion from shore to water. Now, in the water body, it's 180 degrees of water. Because we're on an island, 180 degrees of water. The men, there would be about four or five hunters with high-powered rifle. We'd wait for a sea lion to come by. And sometimes we'd wait for hours. You know, we'd get out there at sunrise and stay until we get a sea lion. We might see one sea lion the whole time from six in the morning till three in the afternoon. But by noon, 
you know, I'm six years old. I'm just, well, getting daydreamy or sleepy, you know, where, where the men, the men never got, yeah, the men never got daydreamy or sleepy, but they still, they didn't act very much. They didn't have very much movement. And they didn't have very much talk yeah. that went between them. They were just sitting on the basalt boulder, scaling the ocean. And then all of a sudden, uh, and I thought, wow, the hut was never get sleepy. I thought that was magical. And then someone would say all of a sudden, Kawakako, sea lion telling, instantly, and I mean instantly, all the men would look at one spot in the ocean. We have a hundred degrees of ocean. The sea lion can be anywhere, but it's one spot that they're all looked at. So I'm six years old. I looked and there's no sea lion, but the men were showing that there was a sea lion there. So I decided, well, I'll just keep watching. About five to seven minutes later, the sea lion would pop up exactly where the men were watching. And I thought, wow, that is magical. And so I learned, I decided to use what I learned from the seabirds about not thinking, use that out hunting. And that's when the magic happened. I could feel the sea line before it showed up. Then I used it with fishing. We fish for halibut, hook, line, and sinker. And I can tell you when the halibut is near the hook. Yeah. I can tell you when it gets hooked, if it's hooked by the lip or the jaw or the side of the body. I can tell you what size it is, three foot, four foot, five. No, I'm telling you this because, listen, you don't see the halibut, but I'm feeling. And so I can tell you whether or not it's male or female. I can tell you how it's going to fight on the way up. All of these things of good hunters will push them in the hand. They had these, yeah. what for society calls to be feminine qualities. That, wow. you know, and we're men. And the best hunters and best fishermen had these qualities. And so it was very important to nurture that. And then I use this, mm. what I've learned in so many different mm -hmm. ways. I could navigate in pea soup thick fog without the aid of any navigational instrument around the island and I can go exactly where I want to go. And, you know, that's just one example. Yeah. And our people used to go all the way down to Patagonia, South America, in these traditional all crack. I built incredible. one myself and it's like, it was yeah. 17 feet long, and it was as wide as the human body. All we there's just one person in it. Yeah, yeah. That's all I use it out in the ocean. Quite incredible. Anyway, our people were masters of the sea. And they went to South America. I actually affirmed that when I went down to Patagonia one time, but that's another story. Anyway. What I really appreciate is how deeply connected, yeah, you are to nature and how it's like that, yeah. you know, electromagnetic feel. It sounds like, you know, when you're able to tell what fish, if it's a 
male or female or if it's going to fight on the way up it's such a deeply connected it's almost it's the energy right it's a, an energetic feeling and deep intuition which i find so beautiful you know you alluded to the feminine qualities and i'm wondering Elarian, if you can tell us a bit about that the masculine and feminine and you know what you meant by that yeah well our understanding the masculine is outward and action-oriented, outward, out from ourselves. And the feminine is inward. Well, it's a receptive part of our being. While this master inside is the active part of our being. And so when we pray, we, it's a masculine action that pushes the words out or the prayer out. And to receive it, to receive answer to the prayer, you have to have this active feminine side that is receptive. And so uh, the degree to which you bash your old feminine side, the degree to which you don't quite hear the answers, uh, comes from the universe, really. And so it's really important to have battle between masculine and feminine, these qualities. And prayer is one example of that. If we, and the elders that I work with say that we are now coming to this time where it's like the pendulum is swing back and forth over time between masculine imbalance and feminine imbalance. And today we have the ability the possibility of stopping this pendulum dead center where masculine and feminine are all equals. It's all this duality that we have invented. Human beings invented duality, right, wrong, strong, weak, up, down. This is, you know, spirit does not have that duality. It unifies the dualities, but we humans have split it. So we have this, this dual thing that we're working with in our world that we've created. So while well, we know that it's important for the masculine and feminine to be unified, and this is what we strive for around the world, that we can unify them. But you, by unifying them, being present in the moment, in your heart, you're a real human being. And so that real human being knows what they must do and know what place they have in the world and know that everything in creation is co-creating with us and that animals are all living things on Mother Earth are relatives. And we are just one of the relatives. And we work with Mother Earth to help her in what she's doing. Now we are working on Mother Earth, taking things from her. And we're take, take, take society, I believe. We don't give. Even when we pray, Native people, Indigenous people, you know, when we pray, we pray to give thanks and gratitude for what we have. 
We don't pray for, you know, ourselves. We don't pray for that, you know, please give me this God because my friend is dying, you know. And this is a human invention. And who we call of all, people would call that God. Of all means the maker. Uh, that when we, well, maker does not concern himself, herself with problems that we have created as human beings. Because, and that we're given freedom of choice. So we're given the choice to decide how we deal with these problems. He, she is not going to intervene for something created by the humans. They're responsible for it, so they have to deal with it. And this is something that most people don't understand or don't want to understand, uh, that this is the case. Well, you know, the elders say that have had masculine and feminine bell, like a swinging pendulum back and forth through time. And that we have the opportunity in this lifetime to stop this pendulum into dead center so that we have master and feminine balance. And the thing is, we live, we have created duality in this world. Human beings have created duality. We have up, down, right, wrong, good, bad, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But in spirit world, the spirit world, you have masculine and feminine and all these dualities merged together and unified. They're unified. And so we are trying to, as human beings, try to find balance which may unify these kinds of dualities. And people don't know how to do that. And so, but the real human being, when you get into that state, you know how it works. I can't explain how we know that, but real human beings know that. And so we just live it. It's hard to explain to someone has never experienced that, what it is we're talking about. But it's there that if you become a real human being, which everyone has the capability of doing, you will find that place balanced with all things. And so that's when you're in the mind, in the heart, and present in the moment, you are able to bring together dualities to unify them, you are acting as a real human being so that you know where your place is in the world. You know, but, you know we're the only species on Mother Earth that doesn't know their nick. It's like we're destroying, we're destroying all parts of Mother Earth. We're the only ones. And so our people know when you eliminate this dual, dualistic thinking, mm. that you are no more or no less than everything that is living in Mother Earth, that they are relatives. <laughs> you have a part to play. Yeah. And that part to play is to help 
Mother Earth and all living things. But you don't know how, we don't know how to do that because we're coming from the mind only to figure out, well, we'll deal with climate change this way, that way, you know, and all that kind of thing. We're, we'll deal with political corruption this way. We're going to deal with the gross violation of women this way. It's not that. And we say there are no more gurus anymore. No singular gurus. We are all gurus. We are yeah. all gurus during this time. We chose to be here. And the answers that you have, mm -hmm. which are gifts to the world, comes from your heart and only your heart. It's not logical, it's not rational, it's transrational. The mind is logical and rational. And, you know, even Einstein said, you can't solve the problem with the same consciousness that created the problem. It's so true. Yeah. And what we're doing is we're using our mind to try to solve problems that we created, but we don't know that we created them because we're using only the mind mm. that when we switch it mm. and the heart, the heart will tell your mind what you must do. That's the traditional way that we looked at yeah. what this is. We reversed it. You put the elders here in Southwest Alaska, they call this the reverse society or the inside out society because we reversed all the laws for living. And so one of the reversals that is the main one is that we have separated from our heart. And so we go to the mind and it's top down. It used to be, like you said, bottom up, where the heart would tell the mind what to do. And the mind's job is to implement that which your heart is telling you. And now... The mind is so powerful that it convinces us that it's the heart speaking when it's only the mind disguised as the heart. It's very clever. And the mind also, this mm -hmm. logic and rationality, is, is always dealing with the past, guilt, shame, remorse, anger, rage, jealousy, all these things that mm -hmm. were happening in the past that are living with us today, but we'll feel it or projection into the future of something that hasn't happened yet, like fear. We're, you know, and so everywhere else except present mm -hmm. moment. And this is the challenge. And I imagine in the present is where that non-duality then exists and where it lives. So it's interesting as, you know, you mentioned the wisdom that you were able to observe in the birds and the wisdom that you as an adult or an elder you're able to observe in children and there's a commonality there right which is this innocence and this it's just being led from the heart and that kind of centering without having the conditioning which eventually if we think about it as you mentioned in our western society it's so, you know, parenting is seen as an authoritative thing. Education, the education system is seen as an authority. And so we're conditioned to fear, right? And we are then fear-driven individuals. And so the whole construct is fear-driven and therefore the mind kicks in 
because it's kind of trying to solve those problems thinking like, oh my gosh, right in that panic mode, if we think of the nervous system, whereas, you know, that's such a beautiful, rich experience that you so beautifully illustrated in your childhood and even just, you know, stealing the $20 from your grandpa. It's through observation, through feeling, and you're able to learn through feeling, through that embodied felt sense of reality. And I think that is where the disconnect is because now we're so fear-based that we don't want to feel. And I know a lot of people I speak to and that I work with, Ilarion, it's, it's the body is a place that is a fraught place to be. There's a disconnect, a dissociation, and there's so much pain that comes with the density of the human body that it's something they try to, you know, through maybe addiction, through, you know, so many different, you know, illnesses that we might see. It's a place that we avoid at all costs. And I, you know, we were so, we've got it all backwards, as you said. And I'm wondering, how do we reverse that? So how do we come back to the heart when we're in a place that is so mm, numb, I'd like to say, we're so numb, you know, we're so disconnected from the body. What might we do to help move this collective shift? Well, so when we work at, you know, the distance between mind and heart, there's the longest distance of travel as most of the sages have said. But the thing is, when we separate from our heart, cause these traumas and fears and all that kind of thing, we, we don't want to be there. Uh, we have separated from ourselves and separated from ourselves. You know, the elders say nothing's created outside until it's created inside first. So we separate from ourselves. And what it does is that it's easy then to separate from others. So we're becoming less and less of a cohesive village of people. And then well, it's easy to separate from others and create nations. And these nations go to war with each other because go to war with something you separate from in the first place. Mm. And the gross violation of women, all of these things were because we separated from ourselves. And so then it's easy to separate from Mother Earth when you separate them from any these things, it's easy for you to do violence against it. Because, you know, when I was in the military, or the Air Force, they trained you to think of the enemy or, you know, they mentioned these words, make the people less than human. So it could help in this idea of separation so that we can kill. And that's a fact. So what we've got to do is not focus on it. The elders say, what we choose to, you know, people of good heart and good mind are choosing to focus on stopping wars, stopping the violation of women, stopping the refugee problems that are causing refugee issues, stopping political corruption, stop, stop, stop. They say, we're energy beings. We have mental, physical, spiritual energy. And if we take this energy, 
pour it into that which we're trying to stop and increases its power. It gets bigger. They say that instead, what we must do, yeah, if your heart is telling you, you got to try to help with stopping this thing, go ahead and do that. But don't pour your mental, physical, and spiritual energies into that. Instead, focus on that which you want to see in the world without reaction to anything. And that's a concept that is very difficult for people to comprehend. This is the only way the elders that I work with say that we can heal a planet uh, and heal ourselves. We got to do it by healing ourselves first. And they say the most unselfish thing you can do right now for the world is to heal yourself. So that's out. And they're saying that we've got to do it fairly quickly because. Mother Earth, she survived for billions of years. She's going to survive for billions more. And it's a question about whether or not human beings are going to survive. And we are here because of that point. And this is where we are in the Gilbert journey. It's this generation that's going to decide. So when this is reason for all the world drills, well, that we face today, well, daunting challenges, because we are separated from everything that we create this chaos as a result. Well, and the elders say there are good people of good heart that are working toward stopping the violation of women, war, refugees, political corruption. They're all people of good heart, but we're focusing our energies, our mental, physical, spiritual energy in stopping something and that those energies go into that which you're trying to stop and make it bigger. This is why we repeat things over and over again with each generation and it gets bigger. They say instead, yeah, you know, pay attention to helping to stop these things mm -hmm. that you feel are wrong. But don't pour your mental, physical, and spiritual energies into right. that. Instead, focus on that which you want to see in the world, not a reaction to anything. And until people get that, you know, we're going to suffer terribly. And we don't have much time. Mother Earth has survived for billions of years. She's going to survive for billions more. It's not, she doesn't need us to survive, but you know, it's yeah. human beings that are in question of surviving. Yeah. And the elders say it isn't going to be decided by this generation of people alive in the world today. And the only way to that, I feel, is to go be mm. present in the moles and in the heart. Now, your heart will tell you what you must do yes. during this yep. time. Mm, so it's very much focusing on the inner healing, that inner, the healing and the coming back exactly. to your own inner wisdom and sharing your gifts with the world and what your soul purpose is here. And that is the medicine for the collective is by really focusing on your soul purpose 
And then that will kind of, and it's true, we have that, we see a domino effect, right? When we heal, we almost give permission and help and yep, uh, inspire, queen. right? Coming from spirit, that word, we inspire others to do the same. And then that kind of, that can continue yep. to carry on that work. That's beautiful. Thank you for that message. I think that's something that's so important for this generation to hear and to take ownership and agency in their healing journey. Yeah. And, you know, they always say that the most unselfish thing you can do to heal yourself at this time is the most mm. biggest contribution that you can make. The rest will be taken care of the way that was taken care of for my people. Yeah. Now, Ilarian, I wonder, something that I know, I recall you sharing a bit of your wisdom on the womb of the earth and the importance, you know, as you've emphasized today, is this very masculine kind of the imbalance, the gross imbalance in the masculine and feminine. And that, you know, is what we were seeing in terms of the patriarchy and the constructs of the world as we see it. And us needing to move from a linear to a nonlinear, more intuitive, more heart, you know, heart directed way of living. And so I'm wondering, that's something that really caught my attention when, you know, I've heard you speak is speaking of the womb and the women at the center of the universe, I think it was, and how the role of women in how you, in your community and, you know, that egalitarian way of living versus the kind of imbalance we're seeing today? Well, true. My people were egalitarian. And master and feminine had equal rights in the community. We use a moon calendar. We are surrounded by ocean, which, you know, is, set, is like metaphorically a place of your emotions, but it's feminine. And so we have all of these feminine qualities it's the women who initialed the shaman, not the other way around. It was the women who did that. And so we're a matriarchal society. What we have one story that about the womb at the center of the universe, for lack of a better way to put it, it's the feminine side of the maker. The place of creation and creativity. And the identical field of energy is in every woman's womb. It's identical. This is why women were considered sacred at one point in time all over the world. Every society had that. And we've lost that because of this masculine imbalance. But what elders say is that when women get together in sisterhood, they heal themselves and they can heal quickly. I mean, compared to men, we men might take a whole lifetime to learn something. Women can do it if they get together in sisterhood very quickly. And then... You heard it uh, here first, right? They, <laughs> I'm not saying... Yeah. I didn't say it. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, That's I right. agree. <laughs> and, and you know, the, you know how women synchronize after they're together for a certain amount of time with their wombs, their moon time, where they have their, mm -hmm. what they call menstruation. Why? They synchronize. 
Well, women can do this with intention where they gather together in sisterhood and they take this energy within them and collectively put it on the outside where it's outside of themselves. Now, women's work is considered invisible because it's spiritual. It's all spiritual. So they can create the container genetically on the outside for something new to be birthed. Until that happens, nothing new, nothing new will be birthed on this world. Until that happens. This is why indigenous people around the world say women are going to take the lead during this time. But it's not read in the sinful the patriarchy. It's lead in the sense yeah. of spirituality. And that spirit, they act mm -hmm. from a spiritual place and they do these spiritual things that women must take the lead. And because it's about relationship, right? I mean, it's all about relationship. And yeah. women understand that. When you get together, a bunch of women together, they're talking about relationships. They're talking about their wives, their lovers, their husbands, their children, mm -hmm. their aunts. You know, they're always talking about relationship. You go to a men's mm -hmm. thing. I went to a locker one time, and they're talking about what the stock market is doing, how the football <laughs> day went to, you know, oh, everything but relationship. And so what I say about that is that men, are very good at staying at the surface. Women go deep. And what we need to do to bring that master of heaven together is men have to dive deeper and women have to go up. They have to lighten up. And that is when right, we okay. have that kind of bow. So, it's a great responsibility so that women halfway and yeah. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so would you say that we, as women, we might need to help teach men how to get to that depth, right? Not how, how, when, show. you know, you, you are extremely show. Yes. Ooh, wrong word. You're right. Show observation. As you mentioned, that was how you learned. Yes. Thank you for that correction through showing and because I do believe, as you mentioned, there is that capacity, even if it might be more instinctual to be on the surface for men to experience that depth. I guess it's just in the roles that we've been given, it's less likely and therefore much must be shown. Exactly. There. Women can show that by Exciting invitation out to me. I, I go to healing circles all the time, and most of the people there are women. Mm -hmm. Like maybe one or two men. They all yes. women are doing their work. Yes. But the men are being they feel like they're left yes. out. So they need to be invited in. Mm. And mm, not okay. for you know, like my wife and partner, she does womb circle and it's for women. Yeah. To help the women see their place in the world. And um, what she understands is that, yeah, the men have to evolve. So there are certain things 
that many women can do together where women take the lead on through mm-hmm. that experience that they will bring the men along. We must understand we need two wings to fly. One for physical, one for spiritual. One for masculine, one for feminine. Without both of them, you cannot fly. And so you need both of them. So mm-hmm. the question become, how do we get the men more into this thing? And the main mm-hmm. job, according to our people, the main job is to protect the sacred space of women so they can do their work. And mm-hmm. that's what is at this time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is, that is so rich and deeply appreciated that you've been able to share this. And I wonder, I know you've also worked with, you've created this collective of 13 elders from around the world and you know, what you call the wisdom weavers. And I will definitely link the movie, the video below as it is something that is definitely, I've sent it out to so many people. <laughs> I remember when yeah. I first saw it, I, it really brought me to tears. But I wonder, Elarian, if you can perhaps speak to, you know, as we wrap up our conversation today, if you can speak to the message you would like to leave us with and what oh. the elders of the world would like to share. Thank you. Yeah. The Wisdom Weaver of the World, I'm assuming you'll provide a website, www.wisdomweaver.world. And on that is the 14 and a half minute film that the elders agreed to make. And it was lost by Reuters on Earth Day in 2020. And it was seen all over the world, translated into 15 different languages and seen by 80,000 people the first day. And what the elders are doing was to answer this question. What is the state of the world as they see it now? And what must we be doing? Those are the only two questions that we asked these elders who gathered together to try to answer. And so on this film is their message to the world. And of course, that message is we've got to change our consciousness now. Not tomorrow, not next week, now. And that we've got to change the consciousness that is focused on the mind and get it to the heart so that the heart is telling the mind what to do. Well, they feel that unless we do that, we're done for as a species on this planet. And so uh, what we're doing now, and this is going to be very difficult for some people to understand because quantum physics is finally arriving at what native people have known for thousands of years. And that is that we're working with the elders from Columbia in South America. And they have asked us for their help. And so, with the help of activating the vision that they carry, uh, they recently created a national organization of elders, spiritual elders. It's composed of members from 115 tribes, including the Colgate. Mm. And what their vision is, is shared by 
a lot of other groups around the world. And that is that we need to conduct ceremonies that will create an alternative vibrational field to the one that exists now, which is mind-centered, to one of light and love. That traditionally, all the cultures in the world used to do these ceremonies and they would cover their region. And that's all. But now we've got a consciousness that is circumvented, circulating throughout the world that we're all exposed to. And that as an alternative, we need to create this alternative field. And we do that now that we have the internet, for example. We do that by connecting indigenous people, spiritual people all over the world with conducting these ceremonies with a singular intent, which is we create this alternative of light and love, vibrational. And this is where the quantum physics comes in. Wow. Because we are energy beings. And we're far more powerful than we realize. And so by connecting up all of these indigenous groups who share the same vision, the Columbian elders say, we're holding our ceremonies during the moon time. And there are some cultures that do it during sun time. The major, you know, summer solstice, winter, chronology, you know, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And the moon cycle. And that it doesn't matter what well, type of ceremony you're doing, that all the ceremonies are all prayers for best for the world. That what we do is hook them all up. And when they do, all their, the Columbian elders are doing these ceremonies now. And so they're saying, we need to synchronize all of our ceremony. Do it the way you traditionally do it. It may be a different time, but we must synchronize them so that this alternative vibration field is connected. So that's what we're working on now. People who are not Beautiful indigenous, hmm. yeah, people who are not indigenous wanted help, they can either pray that all uh, vision becomes a reality, or they can go to an elder, a spiritual elder, and ask them what they need to to do. Because this is indigenous-led. All the indigenous groups have kept these wings for thousands of years. And so it contains a certain kind of vibration, if you will, that people who are starting, just starting their ceremony don't have. And so, for example, we have yeah. a group that's conducting worldwide water ceremonies that's not indigenous. And so their ways are fairly new. They're just as spiritual, but they're fairly new. And, and so it doesn't have the impact that cultures who have been here for a long time. You know, for example, mm. you know, understanding that we received the original instructions and we know what those original instructions are, that's something that a lot of people, most people who are not into, still have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And I appreciate, you know, having, and I think it's so important that we honor these, the origins of these practices and the traditions that come with them. And so I deeply appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's so important, you know, as we're saying at the root of it all, as we're speaking is connection. And so if we can connect with elders in our community, rather than, you know, being so disconnected and putting them in, you know, something that I, doesn't sit well with me is this idea of putting them in old age homes and not speaking to them or asking them the questions. And so just in general with elders in general, but not, you know, specifically with indigenous communities and, and leaders, there's so much there. It's already, it's been here all this time. We just have yeah. to really reconnect back to those roots of humanity. Exactly. So thank you so much, Ilarian, for sharing your time and, and sharing your stories and showing us right through, through these stories, what it is that we can do to connect to our hearts and to each other in doing so and to mother earth thank you thank you so much for tuning in to align with ari now if you like this episode subscribe rate review if you feel called and please share with a soul sister you think would love to hear it and if you're looking for more support head to arianarodriguez.com where you'll find some free resources a quiz my embodiment toolkit, and coaching services for a more personalized approach. You can also find me at Align with Ari on YouTube or align.with.ari on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening and catch you soon.